Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21 from the New Living Translation. All the believers devoting themselves to the to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and each and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And now from 2 Corinthians. Either way, God's, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we, all, we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ <coughs> merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for God when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, I think we can do better than that for them. So I took this opportunity to use longer passages because the adults can't handle reading it, and so I figured we'd ask the kids to do that. I thought they did a great, great job. Um, good morning, Lakeview Church. 
It is so good to be with you. We are in our fourth and final installment of the series that we are in called Everyday Church. And want to just say Sorry, a warm... I can't do that in that app. <laughs> Siri is competing with me this morning, so we'll see if she continues to compete with me. Um, <clears throat> So what was I saying? Oh yeah, welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. And for those of you who are joining us online, just want to look in the camera and say just a special welcome to you. We're so glad you've taken time to be with us. And can we just say hi to those who are joining us online? <clears throat> At the end of our service, we're going to celebrate communion. And so if you are joining us on Line. This would be a great opportunity for you to go and grab some juice, some bread, some crackers so that you can participate in communion with, you, with us, and we would invite you to do that this morning. Uh, we're in the fourth and final installment, as I said, of our series called Everyday Church, and we've really been walking through this series for a couple of reasons. For those of you who have been around here for a little while, you know a, a lot about our church, but we've been really in this series just trying to remind you of why we exist and who we are and where we're headed as a church because we want to give you a chance as people who've been around for a while just to kind of re-up in your commitment and say, yes, we believe in that. That's where we're going and we want to be a part of that. But then there's a whole bunch of you who are newer around here and we wanted to give you an opportunity to hear these things maybe for the first time in kind of one package so that you could say, as people new to our church, yes, I want to be a part of that. And our hope and our prayer really is that as we come out of this series, we as a church will just be united together to say, God, whatever you want to do in us and through us, we are saying yes to you, God. We want all of that for our church. And so we started this series back at the beginning of the month, and we, we really focused in on the first message. We said, this is why we exist. And the reason we exist is to equip disciples who will make disciples. And you may remember our call on that day was really to say, let's be everyday missionaries. Let's be people who go out into our community, and as people who know Jesus, let's tell others about him, and let's invite them to follow Jesus and live their lives for him. <clears throat> and we really kind of focused in on that in week one. Week two, we kind of drilled into who we are as a community, and we focused in on our core values, and we said that there are really four core values that shape kind of the community that we're trying to become. We said that we're going to be a church of spiritual fervency, that we believe we've got to seek God with everything that's within us. We said we're going to be a church of biblical fidelity, that we're going to focus in on the word of God. We're going to lift up the word of God, and we're going to let the word of God shape who we are and who we're trying to become. <clears throat> we said that we have to be, while we're this church with a strong core of spiritual fervency and biblical fidelity, that we also want to be a church that at the very borders of our community it's porous. Anybody can come. Everybody can come. You're welcome here. Even if you don't believe what we believe about the Bible, you can still come here. You're welcome. We want you to be here. And we said that that value really speaks to our, our commitment to radical hospitality, that anyone and everyone is welcome in this church. And then we, we ended by saying that everybody in this church is going to be asked to take next steps because we are a next step community, that we, we take steps of faith. We discover what the next step is in our spiritual journey, and we take it because we recognize that is the most important step in our spiritual journey, the next one. 
And if we just keep taking the next step and the next step and the next step, we'll keep growing and becoming the people that God wants us to be. And then last Sunday, we talked about the fact that we are a church that is committed to, to reaching from here to everywhere. And we went to Acts 1.8 and we said that our mission is to be kind of powered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So we have a mission here at our church to help everybody who's in our church become everything that God wants us to be. But our mission doesn't stop with us. It's got to go beyond our church walls and it's got to reach into Marion and into Grant County. We are called by God to make a difference where we live. And so that's why we're partnered with local outreach organizations. It's why we have a school. It's why we have a counseling center. It's why we believe in meeting physical needs in our community because we are called by God to make our community different and better to make it more of what God wants it to be. But we said that our mission doesn't stop when you get to the edge of Grant County. It reaches into North America. And we talked about our commitment to our brothers and sisters in Mexico and the work that we do in Irapuato. And we talked about the things that we do in North America, the way that we partner with Crossroads District, which is 109 churches here in Indiana that we're partnered with. And we talked about how we partner with the Wesleyan Church and all that they do and five educational institutions institutions, and, and we're committed to being a part of what God is doing through the Wesleyan Church, not just here where we live, but throughout North America. And, and then we said that our mission doesn't stop at North America. It's the whole world. It's the ends of the earth. And we talked about the way that we support 17 missionaries around the world and the way that we partner with a variety of mission organizations, doing lots of different things in lots of different places. And then we, we talked about our newest partnership as we think about our global engagement. We talked about our partnership with African Wesleyan University. And I talked to you about their groundbreaking. And, and I thought you just might like to hear an update from our brothers and sisters in Zambia. So direct your attention to the screen and watch this video. Hi, I am Alfred Kalemo, Vice Principal for Advancement of Africa Wesleyan University. I'm here to give you an update about the exciting news of our university. Last Thursday, Behind me, over 500 people gathered, coming from different areas, to witness the groundbreaking of the first classroom building which we'll have here on the campus of Africa Wesleyan University. The Minister of Education in Zambia graced the occasion. The chief of the area was here. Many people gathered. And we want to thank you for helping us keeping this vision alive. One day, people will say, we have never seen anything like this for the glory of God. Oh, it's exciting. <clears throat> so exciting to see how God is bringing together a team of people, and our church was just right on the very front edge of that, but other churches, other groups, other donors are coming together, and, and that vision is moving forward, and we get to be a part of it, and I'm so excited about it. This morning, I want to just talk to you just for a few minutes about kind of the last part of this series, because the reality is, is that when we think about all that God's asking us to do, 
to be a church that makes disciples, that transforms the community, that multiplies the church from here to everywhere. The reality is, is that that can seem really, really big. And so the question that you might be asking this morning is, so how are we going to do that? And I'm just so glad you asked because that really sets up my message really well today because I want to talk to you about our simple strategy for becoming the church that God is calling us to be in the days ahead. And to do that, what I want to do is kind of go back to the passages that were so beautifully read for us by Loxie and Reagan just a couple of minutes ago. And I want to just unpack Acts chapter 2 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because these passages really are foundational to the kind of church that we are trying to become and the strategy that we are trying to implement here at Lakeview Church. So let's look at Acts chapter two for a couple of minutes. And as you think about Acts chapter two, it's really important for you to understand what happens a little bit earlier in Acts chapter two. We didn't read that passage, but Acts chapter two is the passage where the the day of Pentecost is recorded for us. And what you know, if you know about the day of Pentecost, is that the the believers in Jesus, the followers of Jesus, were gathered in an upper room, and they were there because Jesus told them to go there and to wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And the followers of Jesus went to Jerusalem. They gathered in an upper room, and they, they waited there for the Holy Spirit to come. And when we get to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, what we read is that when the day of Pentecost had come, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people gathered in that room. There was a mighty rushing wind, there were tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit fell on those followers of Jesus gathered in that room. And, And that was the beginning of the church. That's when the church was born. As the church begins to take shape, literally, Immediately following that moment, the Holy Spirit's poured out and Peter walks out of that room and there's a crowd gathered from all different places and Peter preaches to them. And there's a miracle in that moment because all of these people who speak all of these languages begin to hear the good news of God in their own language and they respond to the gospel and they accept Jesus and thousands of people come to faith on that day and the church of Jesus Christ was born. And if you read the book of Acts, what you know is that from that moment, the movement of Jesus just begins to take off. Remember, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And if you read Acts, you see the expansion of the gospel taking the word of Jesus to the ends of the earth in that day. This is the mission of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is powering it. When we get to the passage that Loxie read for us, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the first description we have of the church. And it's really a picture of a dynamic church, a church that is centered on Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, centered on the word of God, committed to worship, committed to small gatherings in people's homes for fellowship and care and prayer together. They were committed to generosity and making a difference. They were committed to sharing their faith and inviting people to know who Jesus is. And God was using the church in that day. 
In fact, when I read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I'm reminded that the early church had a commitment to following Jesus. The passage says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, this community came together and they devoted themselves to a set of practices. These weren't just things they did because they were fun to do. They did them because they were a certain kind of community. They were a community centered on the person of Jesus. The apostles were those who had spent time with Jesus. They'd heard the teachings of Jesus, and they had been sent out to carry the message of Jesus into the world. And so when it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to learning what Jesus had commanded. And when they said, we're devoted to prayer, they were a church that said, we're committed to seeking God in prayer, to communing with him, and asking him to do more than we could ever do in our own strength or our own power. And when it says they were committed to fellowship and to breaking of bread and, and, and even to having the Lord's Supper together, they were a group of people committed to worshiping God and remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus and asking his grace to fill them and empower them. When we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, what we see is a community of people who were devoted to a set of practices. We know what they were devoted to, but the question is, why were they devoted to those things? Because more than anything else, they wanted to be a community following Jesus. They were Jesus' followers. They were people of the way. This is who they were, and this is who they were trying to become. But they weren't just people who followed Jesus. Because as they followed Jesus, as they gave themselves to these practices, something started to happen in their lives. They started to become selfless people. Instead of being pushed into the world's mold and, and just being selfish and self-centered and thinking only about themselves, the more they followed Jesus, the more they gave themselves to lining their lives up with him, they started to open their lives up. In fact, they began to live generously. The passage says that. It says that they took what they had and they shared it with everyone. They even sold property and possessions so that they could have more resources to give to those who had need. And you may not have ever seen that before, but these people who centered their lives on Jesus, they didn't become more selfish. They didn't turn in on themselves. No, they opened their lives up and they said, we're going to be generous people. We're going to give whatever we've got because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Jesus that we serve. They followed Jesus and they lived generously. And as they did those two things, here's what happened next. They started to make a difference for Jesus. The passage says that, that they actually began to experience the goodwill of all the people. That, that's what happens when you live generously. When you share what you have, what God has entrusted to your care, you willingly use that to bless others and serve others and minister to others. When that begins to happen, guess what? People actually like you more. It's amazing. They actually start to think that there's something about your faith that's different than what the world believes. 
Because our world, in case you haven't noticed, isn't preaching a gospel of generosity. Our world preaches a gospel of selfishness and self-centeredness, that it's about you and it's about what you want and about what you desire and about what you think you need. But when you follow Jesus, he changes your life and he reminds you, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his purposes in the world. And here's the thing. This is just a side note. When, when you follow Jesus and you learn to live generously, your life, which may have a lot of hard things in it, I, I, don't, I don't doubt or diminish in any way the hard things that may be true in your life right now, but here's what I know. If you learn to follow Jesus and live generously, you will begin to live for a purpose that is beyond yourself, which may or may not eliminate the hard things in your life, but it will make your life more meaningful even in the midst of the hard things that you're facing. Some of you are discouraged and defeated because all you can think about is yourself. And if you would just lift up your eyes and fix your eyes on Jesus and start following him and learning to live generously, he would elevate your life to a different level, which again, may or may not get rid of the hard things in your life. In this world, you will have trouble. Sorry if you thought you could get out of it. Jesus made it real clear. We're going to have trouble. I think it was Scott Peck who said, life is hard, get over it. It just, it's just life. Welcome. Welcome. This is life. It's hard. But if you will elevate your life to another level of saying, it's not about me, it's about me using my one and only life for something greater than myself, guess what happens? The problems that you have in this world begin to seem light and momentary, as Paul says. Your life begins to take on more meaning and more purpose. And that's what we see in Acts 2. They followed Jesus, they lived generously, and they made a difference. They enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. And here's the best part. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. You gotta understand, when we follow Jesus with all of our lives, and we live generously, and we go out into our community, and we, we serve people, and we love people well, and we share the gospel of Jesus faithfully, people will come to know who Jesus is, and their lives will be changed. And you and I get to be a part of making a difference in this world. That's the picture of a dynamic church. And so you might be thinking, so what would need to be true of our church to become a dynamic church? Your questions are so well-timed. <laughs> they make a perfect transition to the next part of this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think we see a picture here of the church later. Acts 2.42 and following. Those verses are right as the church is starting. But later we get Paul, one of the apostles, writing about the church and what the church is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and I think there are three essentials of a dynamic church that Paul shares in this, in this passage. I'm just going to walk through them real quickly. The first one is that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Want to be a dynamic church? It begins with putting Jesus at the center and recognizing him as Savior and Lord. 
Now, some of you know that Jesus is Savior. You've experienced forgiveness of sin. You, you've, he's washed you clean and made you new, and you celebrate that. But I want to just let you know today, Jesus did not just want to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. Jesus saves you from your past, but when you make him Lord, he directs your future. And Jesus isn't just interested in eliminating and cleaning out your past. He wants to do that, and he will, and we should celebrate that. But he doesn't just want to forgive your past. He wants to lead you into the future so that you become the person he wants you to be. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants you to take your entire life and just say, I'm going to stop living for me. I'm going to start living my life fully for him. We have to make Jesus our savior and Lord if we want to be a dynamic church. Secondly, we have to recognize that discipleship is our journey. Discipleship is our journey. When Paul writes in this letter, he writes kind of two bookends of the Christian journey. He writes in verse 17 that if you're in Christ, you're a new person. The old is gone and the new is here. And if you've experienced that, you know how wonderful it is. All the junk, all the garbage, all the bad choices, all the wrong things you've done, and you come to Jesus in a moment, he forgives all of that, and he like wipes the slate clean and says, you're brand new. That's why the Bible uses the imagery of being born again. It's the innocence of being a brand new baby in a mother's arms. You are a brand new person. That's where the journey starts. But when you get to verse 21, Paul's writing now about a different phase of the Christian life. He says, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could be made right with God. Another translation says it this way. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. See, Jesus is taking us on a journey from new creation to the righteousness of God. And the only way to take that journey is discipleship. One step after another, just responding to what God's doing in your life, reading the word, and, and just having God say that right there in your life. That doesn't line up with what's in the word. And then, and then you have to confess, which just means to agree with God. It, literally, you just have to say, God, you're right. You're, you're right again. You're right again, God. Now forgive me. And more importantly, God, help me. Help me live differently from this moment forward. And you just take that next step. And God, God may challenge you and ask you to think differently about your finances, your possessions, to recognize that they don't belong to you. To recognize that you don't get to hold on to your stuff like this because that's not what Christianity is. Christianity holds on to anything we have like this. God, it's, it's yours. It's not mine. I, you can take whatever you want because it belongs to you. I'm just managing it for a time. And God might challenge you on that and you have to take next steps. And on and on the journey goes and he's turning us more and more and more into the image of Christ. Discipleship is our journey. It's what we're called to, to become more and more like Jesus every step 
of the way. And then the final thing that I think we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that making disciples is our ministry. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He's at the center of the church. He's at the center of our lives. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. And because of that, we're on a journey to become like him. We're taking step by step by step in this discipleship process to become who God wants us to be. And while we're doing that, we have a ministry. And the ministry is to help other people know who Jesus is. Paul writes in this passage, you are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you. You are his megaphone. You are his mouthpiece. You are the voice of God into the life of your friends. That's why you're here, to reconcile people to God. And that's why Paul says that we ought to beg people to know who Jesus is and to follow him. It's that important and it matters that much. You wanna know what a dynamic church is? A dynamic church is a community of people who have said Jesus forgives us of our sins and he leads us into our future. And we are on a journey together to become more and more like him and while we are becoming more and more like him, we are doing whatever we can to invite as many people as possible into this journey with us. And if you do those things, you are on mission with Jesus and Jesus blesses that kind of church with the Holy Spirit's power because we're being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, from here to everywhere. So what is our simple strategy to live out these teachings of scripture here at Lakeview Church? Well, we have a statement. We say it here a lot. You probably can say it from heart if you've been here even just for a few weeks. We're an everyday church for everyday people, and we're striving to follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference every day. I want to just kind of camp on different words in this phrase to help you understand that this phrase is more than just a phrase. It actually is our strategy in a single sentence, and I want to walk you through it. And I want to camp first on the word striving, because I think sometimes that word can create a struggle for some of us, because you hear that word and you think that what we're trying to say is, is that it's all your work. You got to become everything God wants you to be, work really hard at it, good luck. And that's not what we're saying. We're recognizing that the work of transformation is the work of God. You can't change yourself. I know the world, like you go to a bookstore, I don't even know if they have bookstores anymore, but if you go to a bookstore, they used to have a section that says self-help, falsehood. You, you can't, you can't do it. You cannot help yourself to become everything God wants you to be. You're not, you're just not that good. Sorry to hurt your feelings. You're just not that good. You need the help of God to transform your life. But God will not transform you without your participation. He's not going to just take over your life and control you like a robot under his power. He's not going to do that. He actually wants you to put yourself in a place to say, God, I want your changing, transforming work in my life. And even the ability that you have to say that comes from his grace already at work in you. 
He's inviting you into that journey, making you desire that, and then you give yourself to that, and guess what happens? God shows up, he meets you there, and changes your life. So when we say striving, we're not saying do it in your own strength. We're saying just make sure you're disciplining yourself to be as diligent as you can to the process so that you find yourself in places where God is likely to meet you and change your life. Striving to follow Jesus, live generously, make a difference. Let's talk about following Jesus. We want to see everybody in our church follow Jesus. And what that means is, of course, we want to see everybody make a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that yet, we want to invite you to do that. We want to invite you to make a decision to say, Jesus is going to be my Savior. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want my life to be made new. We believe it begins there. But that is just what it is, the beginning Following Jesus is not just about getting saved or being born again. It starts there, but man, it goes from there to learning who Jesus is and what he, what he taught and how he thinks and the way he lived his life. Why? Because Christianity is about imitating Jesus and living your life as if he were living your life in your place. And so we want to help you do that. We want to help you know how to engage the word of God so that it shapes you and forms you. We want to teach you the basic doctrines of the Christian faith so you know what we believe and why we believe it, and even more importantly, why it matters. And we want to help you know the practices of the Christian faith so that you can grow for a lifetime. We want to help you do that. And so we have a discipleship pathway and we have small groups and we have all of these different things that we invite you into so that you can grow in following Jesus. But it boils down to two commitments that I want everybody in our church to make. I want you each week, and yes, I said each week, not half the weeks of the year, not one week out of every month, each week, participate in a worship service and engage in a small group. Every week, every week. Why? Because this community is the most important community in your life. And I know some of you don't believe that. But if you want to become everything God wants you to be, you need to gather with God's people in God's presence for the purpose of worshiping him and you need to be with a smaller group of people for encouragement, for scripture, for prayer, to determine what your next steps are and to hold each other accountable. This is the way the church has functioned for thousands of years, and it's not any different today. We should not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and we should not give up meeting together even more so as the final day approaches. Make worship a priority. Make small group connection a priority. You need those things so that you can grow to follow Jesus. Secondly, we believe in helping people live generously. We believe in helping people to live generously. And again, it's what happens when you follow Jesus. Your life, it just opens up. You start to realize, not mine, not mine. I don't own anything. God owns it all. Everything that comes into my possession, I might possess it, but I'm not the owner. God is the owner. And the Christian journey is about learning that key truth. And we want to help you do that. 
And so we want to help you learn how to manage your time so that you can make the most of the one and only life that you've been given. You don't get another one. You don't get a second run at it. You get one life, and we want you to make the most of it. So we want to help you manage your time well. We want to help you figure out how God has wired you for service, how he's wired you to make a difference in the world. And then we want to help you engage in service that makes a difference in our church and in our community. And we want to come alongside you and help you manage your physical and your financial resources better so that your needs can be met, but so that you can begin to have margin in your life. There's something our world doesn't teach us, how to have margin in our finances, right? But they just want to leverage us in debt so that we can do less and less with our lives. But what if you could manage your money in a way that allowed your needs to be met and for you to have margin in your life so that in that margin, you could begin to serve others and meet needs and invest in kingdom initiatives? We want to help you do those things. And we're asking for two commitments, in this area of living generously. We want every single person in our church to serve on the dream team, and we want you to give regularly from your financial resources. And you might say, oh, here it is. The church just wants my money. Listen, I want to just make this really, really, really clear. Whenever I talk to you about money, it is not about what I want from you. It is about what I want for you. God has set up in his church all through the ages this practice of regularly giving from what he has entrusted to our care. And one of the reasons he does that is so that we will learn every week when we practice giving that God is the owner of everything that we have. And that God, in and of himself, his character is to be generous. He loved us so much, he gave his only son. And God invites us to practice giving. Why? Not so he can have what he needs. Just a little inside tip here. God doesn't need anything. He's got it all. So why does God ask us to give? Because what God is asking of us is to become more and more like him, to become generous people. When we practice giving, we're just taking steps to say, God, we're gonna, we're gonna be like our dad. And we're gonna give like he gives. So I'm not asking anything from you. I'm just simply saying, this is what I want for you. I want you to discover the God who provides for you. And I want you to discover what it means to live a generous life. So if you're keeping track, Worship service, small group, dream team, and faithful giving. And then there's one more area, make a difference. We believe every single person is called to go out into our community and into our world to make a difference for Christ. And this doesn't just mean going out and being nice to people. You should be nice to people. I'm not saying don't be nice. You should be nice. But sometimes people, they will downgrade what it means to make a difference by saying, well, I, I smile at people when I'm in the store. That's great. Human beings should do that. You should smile at people. And some of you, that might be a revelation that you should smile at people. You should. Be nice. Be kind. But here's the deal. Making a difference means helping people step across the line of faith. And some of you maybe have been Christians for a long, long time, and you maybe have never had that joy. And I want to just challenge you to just ask God to give you that joy in the next few months. 
that you would get to share your testimony and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite somebody to step across the line of faith. Because I'm telling you right now, if you do that, your life will never be the same. There's no joy like that joy. Just stepping somebody across the line of faith. And some of you need to experience that joy and discover what that's about. And when we talk about making a difference, that's what we're talking about. So we're asking for two things here. We're asking that you would allow us to come alongside you and help you discover your purpose, the good works which God created you to do. And he prepared those good works long in advance. And he wired you and gave you everything that you need to become that person. We want to help you figure that out so that as you're living out that purpose, you can take every opportunity given to you to make disciples by sharing your faith and inviting people into this journey. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to close this service with communion. But before we do that, I have two more things. I have an invitation and a guarantee. You don't come to church often and get a guarantee, but I'm going to give you one this morning. Here's the invitation. The invitation is give yourself to those six commitments. I mean, wholeheartedly. Be here every week for worship. In a world that is downgrading church attendance, I'm asking you to upgrade church attendance. And some of you are here every week. Just keep on doing what you're doing. But if you're not here every week, step up your game. Step up your game. We're living in a time where we need Christians who will step up their game. So step up your game. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. If you're not serving on the dream team, serve on the dream team. If you're not giving a dime, just give a dime next week. (laughs) Just start. Invest. Begin the journey with us of discovering your life purpose. And let us teach you how to share your story and how to share your faith so that you can lead people to Jesus. And here's what my guarantee is. If you will give yourself to those six commitments, you will grow spiritually. God will change your life. And it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian forever. It doesn't matter. If you give yourself to these things, you will grow spiritually. God will do a new work in your heart and he will change your life. And that's what I want for you. Now we come to the end of this service and you might wonder, why are we celebrating communion? What is communion anyway? Well, communion is one of those practices that Jesus himself instituted on the night that he was betrayed. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. And he asked us to practice this this ritual. But it's more than a ritual because it's one of those places where God has promised to meet us in the practice itself. He said, if you'll go there and if you'll do that, I'll meet you right there and I'll actually pour out grace in your life. And listen, when we think about becoming a dynamic church, we think about becoming everything God wants us to be. We can't do it in our own strength. We need the grace of God. We need the power of God at work in us. And so as we end this series and this service, we're going to celebrate communion as a way of saying, God, we're going to diligently put ourselves in the place where we need to be. And as we take this bread and we drink this cup, God, would you meet us there and pour out grace 
so that we can become everything you want us to be. So when you came in this morning, you were encouraged to pick up one of these cups, and some of you didn't do that, and that's okay. We've got people ready to serve you. So if, if you ha- didn't get one of these, just raise your hand, and we've got people who are prepared to come, and they're going to serve you. And for those of you who are joining us online, again, if you've prepared elements, we would encourage you to get those ready now so that you can celebrate communion with us. Again, just keep your hand up until you've served. We've got one right down here. And then another one right here. Keep those hands up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Right down here. You guys were so excited to get into church today. You just walked right past those baskets. You didn't even see them. got another one right here, Mike, and another one right there, and a couple over here. Just keep those hands up high. Anybody else need one? coming to serve you. Just keep those hands up. Anybody else need one? All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to consecrate these elements. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're going to pray to consecrate your elements as well. And then I'm going to lead us through this time. So let's pray together. God, we are thankful for who you are and for how you invite us into your work to change the world. God, we just confess today, we can't become everything you want us to be on our own. We need your grace, we need your power, we need your work. And as a church, we can't become or do all that you want of us without your grace and without your power. So we come to this moment this morning to simply say, God, we're putting ourselves in a place to receive. We're here at your invitation, but God, we're putting ourselves in a place to receive your grace and your power and your truth in this moment. So God, we're asking you to bless and consecrate these elements that are in our hands. Use them for your purposes in our lives and infuse these moments with your presence and with your grace and with your power. Holy Spirit, come rest on us for what you do in these moments. We'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you here in the room, I want you to peel back that one tab that has the wafer underneath of it. So we'll start there and you can take that wafer out and put that in your hand. And as you have that in your hand, I want you just to remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples for one final meal. And at the end of that meal, he took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as we hold just this wafer in our hands, we're reminded that a couple thousand years ago, Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us so that our sins could be forgiven and our lives could be changed and we could be made whole. So as you take this wafer this morning and eat it, do it with thanksgiving in your heart for what Christ has done. Let's eat together.
when you finished eating, you can take that cup and peel the other tab off to reveal the juice there. And I just want you to hold this cup in your hand and be reminded it wasn't just his body that was broken, it's his blood that was spilled. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be that new person, that person born again. And as we drink this, just as they did on the night that Jesus was betrayed, we're mindful Jesus shed his blood for us. And we should drink this this morning with thanksgiving in our heart. Let's drink together. God, we pause at the end of this service just to say a corporate thanksgiving to you. God, you've been so faithful to us, faithful in the way that you sent your son, faithful in the way that Jesus died and was raised again, faithful in the way that you've sent your Holy Spirit to empower and embolden and equip your church. And God, here today, as we seek to live out the strategy that you have given to us, to follow Jesus, to live generously so that we can make a difference in our community and in our world. We are asking with boldness and humility that you would allow your Holy Spirit to rest on us in fresh and new ways so that we can become everything that you want us to be personally, in marriages, in families, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our county, in North America and to the ends of the earth. Help us, God, help us make disciples, transform the community and multiply the church from here to everywhere. And for all that you do, God, we're gonna give you the thanks and the praise and we pray it in Jesus' name. And my brothers and sisters, I wanna invite you to stand. We're at the end of our service and I know that summer has not officially started, but for me at least, and maybe you as well, it feels like summer has started. School is out. Come on now. School is out. Parents are like, school is out. Yes, school is out. And that feels to me like summer has started. We can't wait for the official beginning of summer. So today, in honor of the unofficial start of summer, we have ice cream sandwiches for everybody. So... Enjoy your ice cream sandwiches. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. God bless you as you go from this place. You are sent out.